Who'd win in a wrestling match, Lemmy or God? Lemmy. God. Wrong, dickhead. Trick question. Lemmy is God. Yeah! Welcome to Caged In Presents Coppola Connections, brought to you by the Breadcrumbs Collective and hosted by me, Petros Pat Syllabus. The film for this week's episode is Airheads, released in 1994, and it's a whole lot of fun. And my guest is the fantastic Molly McGuinness. Before we get into this one, though, if you've never listened to the podcast before, what we do here is we watch every single film in the collective Coppola filmography to determine are they the greatest film family of all time this episode uh, had some little issues so it got, it got uploaded late you might not know that if you listen to this at a later date but it got uploaded later than I usually do uh, there were some clips and they all got messed up and stuff like that so I've had to edit the episode down but it's still a fantastic conversation Molly was an amazing guest and uh so amazing that she may be coming back for a future episode. So keep an eye out for that if and when that happens. Obviously, all the regular spoiler warnings do apply for this nearly 30-year-old film. We talk about it in all its gory detail. So please do check out the show notes to find a handy document that will show you if and where this film is streaming. So I guess all that's left to do is to grab your demo cassette Fill your water pistols full of hot sauce and head to your local radio station to hold it hostage as we make some Coppola connections. On this episode, we're taking over the airways with rock. Airheads is a comedy hostage film that was released in 1994, directed by Michael Lerman, written by Mike Wilkes, starring Brendan Fraser, Steve Buscemi, Adam Sandler, and a whole host of other great comedy talent. The cinematographer for this film is this week's Coppola Connection, Jonathan Schwartzman, my partner in crime this week, helping me take this film hostage and see if it meets our demands for what a comedy should be, is writer, comedian, and podcaster Molly McGuinness. Molly, are you Team Van Halen or Team Roth? I'm Team Roth. Oh, oh, you're like a, you're like a man in a nice spandex then. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Way more rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> how, how are you, Molly? Are you doing well? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm really good. I'm very excited about this because <laughs> my little Mosha heart just loves talking about any kind of like rock and roll film. Perfect. I'm, exci- I'm excited to talk to you as well because like this for me feels like with obviously like your recent like uh, BBC like new comedy uh, awards success, right? We, we we can call it that, right? Yeah. Getting to the yeah, finals. Yeah. Oh, why not? <laughs> I always, I feel like one of those like several bands who saw 
the sex pistols at the Manchester Civic Hall where it's like, have I like, is it going to be one of those things where it's like when Molly McGuinness's name's in lights, I can go, I spoke to her on my podcast back then. Am I going to be like, <laughs> I'm going to be real cool. I'm going to be one of those people who knew about the strokes before, before, before the second album or something. That is very flattering. But if that was the case, <laughs> it would be funny that it would be airheads. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, before before we get into talking about airheads, I always like to ask my guests um, about how they became aware of the Coppola family, whether it was like through a specific person, like what was your entry point? And then when did you realize that there was this tendril-like family that kind of spreads out throughout Hollywood? Um, well, I'd, I'd probably say, so I did uh, I did film studies in college where like everyone just like watches, you try and watch like 100 greatest films at that time and you think that you're just kind of like a proper film bro <laughs> after, uh, after six months. So like, I think that's probably around 16 I found out about like the couplers and stuff and I think I didn't realise like the weirdness or, or like how many were in the family until I was like in my Nick Cage era obviously <laughs> that's kind of like this like it's just such, such a strange connection um that then I kind of like read up on it and then like realised like oh yeah, like Sophia Coppola and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, there's just so many people involved. But I think I think Nicolas Cage definitely made me, like, take interest mm. in the fact that this family, like, basically rural Hollywood. Um, what um, a weird connection to that family as well, because he kind of see, seems almost like the antithesis of what Francis Ford Coppola is about. Like, he, he's recently kind of said, like, superhero movies are dumb, and then you've got, like, Nick Cage who's been in, like, what like like nearly five now whether you count like the animated films you know I mean? he's done two ghost rider films the kick ass and like yeah spider-man into the spider-verse and like uh, uh yeah he's just he's just like in super so like i always feel like he's probably like excommunicado at christmas or he's got to sit on like a different table to everyone else so it's like come on nick you jump yeah he's definitely the black sheep of the family which i love like <laughs> I think he's just doing whatever he can to to piss them off. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is definitely like yeah uh, something that's always found fascinating about Nick Cage as an actor is like he obviously changed his name to Cage from Coppola, but at the same time was very happy to kind of take the family handouts early on in his career because he's in like Rumblefish and Peggy Sue got married, so he was very much like. Francis, Uncle Francis, have you got a little job for me? And then, and then would kind of like at the same time, he's like, "But I'm Nick Cage, I'm not a Coppola." And it's like, "Yeah, yeah, very much are." <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's like the moody, like goth, yeah, kid, yeah. isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> like, is there any like real surprises? Because obviously, like you've gone for Jonathan Schwartzman, who is, I I've, again, it's quite fascinating because he kind of like ticks off a whole weird stream of films that like are just kind of a lot of mainstream stuff whether it's like Pearl Harbor and Armageddon he's like the cinematographer on and like yeah like uh, in the early 90s doing like these these comedies and stuff like that is there any ones that I don't know when you saw the list you're like oh how are they how are they connected to the family um yeah because to be honest because I didn't really I didn't really know much about John Schwartzman um I didn't really pay attention to 
him being the cinematographer. So look, I heard the name, but I didn't know what mm-hmm. his involved, what films he'd actually done. I, I didn't really take it in. So it definitely kind of like, yeah, the, like Air, Airheads, for example, being being in this, I did not expect to be on this like connection. <laughs> uh, um, so that was exciting. I think if anything, I thought it might be like go through like because Patricia Arquette being married to Nicolas Cage and then David Arquette yeah. could also go that way. Um, I mean, oh, it never oh. ends, does it? You can go anyway. Um, uh, David Arquette. I just, I'm just, I'm just smiling right now, thinking of David Arquette in this film, and can't wait to really dive into <laughs> what the fuck he is doing. I, I love all of yeah. it, but it's, it's also full of questions um <laughs> so um you go yeah sorry yeah I, d- I feel like a, it's not surprising to me anymore necessarily but I suppose it's more yeah like people that aren't necessarily actors and directors mm-hmm. like everyone's kind of got the feet in there some way yes. um yeah yeah because Jason I- quite uh feels quite quite felt quite random at the well the connection seemed quite strange to at first but well, yeah because yeah. the like connection even to the Coppola is quite a tenuous one because he's only so he's like Jason Schwartzman's half brother from like the, the first the, his dad's first marriage but I was like I read an article where Nicolas Cage said my cousin Jonathan Schwartzman was the uh, DOP on The Rock and I was like He's he's got to go on the list. If if Nick's if Nick's calling him family, he's he's, he's a part of the family to me. Exactly. Um, amazing. So again, this can is probably. Imagine, can you imagine Christmas with them? M- mental. Dinner. Apparently, during lockdown, Francis Ford Coppola just invited like all everyone. Like, I'm not sure if it's just the immediate family, but like Sophia's family, Roman's family, they all just stayed at the Napa Valley like mansion that he owns which I just imagine would have been fucking class. Do you know what I mean? Like drinking wine, eating pasta. I know this sounds like I'm being very stiff, stereotypical Italian, but I think that is what they do. Like that is very much what they do. So I, I, hopefully I don't offend any Italian listeners. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> that is exactly how I imagine it. Really good pasta. Yeah. Like a, 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 a sauce has been cooking for like three days. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> the smell, ooh. Cutting garlic with razor blades, proper Goodfellas style. Um, yeah. So yeah, this is going to be like a hot, like I guess a hard question, but like, what would have been the first Jonathan Schwartzman film you would have seen? Obviously, it's not something many people look out for. Is the DOP of or like a cinematographer? I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't actually know because I, I I was thinking about the first like Coppola film that I've seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Let's I. Probably Jack. Ooh, it's got to be Jack, hasn't it? Yeah. It's got to be. But John Schwartzman, I don't know. You might have to. You might have to give me some shouts. I might be able to work it out. What's what was he the DOP on old old nineties films? Uh, so The Rock, Armageddon, uh, Pearl Harbor. He did like he did a lot of work with Michael Bay. Ed TV, if you remember that film. That's Matthew McConaughey one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's like the kind of I remember it, it. One of those weird things where it came out around the similar time as like the Truman Show. You know, like you always get those two films, whether it's Deep Impact and Armageddon, where it's like 
that's quite a similar premises. It's a guy who's being filmed constantly. Yeah. So yeah. um yeah, uh it's, it's yeah, but like Jack as a first Coppola entry to to arguably what many people call like the greatest one of the greatest directors of all time is is a weird entry point. That's a that's a that's a weird, bizarre film, Molly. It really is, but I'm gonna be controversial. Might be my favourite one. <laughs> <laughs> I would, you know like it's the one you can go to the most robin williams is brilliant it's perfect my favorite couple of film amazing i love that francis ford coppola's reasoning for doing it as well is obviously like done all these serious films and like the godfather men sitting in smoky rooms talking and his reason for doing jack was it's quite heartbreaking because he had polio as a kid and was like uh I really connected with the character of Jack because he's he's a kid who has a condition that nobody else understands around him. And now, like, I know that like the film is almost heartbreaking that that is his like his reason for doing it. I can just picture a, front, a small Francis Ford Coppola bedridden from polio. Like, yeah, it's heartbreaking stuff. That seems so much like I feel like you could have done a film about that. being a big kid like (laughs) one of my like um memories that's seared into my brain of jack i've watched it so many years is just the farting in a tin and like passing it around the circle and then one of the kids has to smell it is that that's (laughs) jack right i think so yeah i do remember that yeah, the, 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 I've either got it confused. I remember, yeah, a tree house. It's either that or like something yeah. like the Sandlot Kids or something. They Not thought. it. I think it was. <laughs> I always got Big and Jack mixed up as well. Yeah. Which is like the, you know, I feel like people are always one or the other. Mm. Um, well, I, what I, would you say you are? Well, I just think because like time hasn't been great on Big now, has it? Obviously, it's kind of like like people have revisited that film and gone, Oh, it's like like there's a big there's a big paedophile story in it. Do you know what I mean? This woman basically <laughs> fancies a kid. Like even though like despite him being in a and it's kind of I guess it's a you could probably speak more to this than me. It's probably a lot of like uh uh women in like the twenty first century dealing with men anyway, even though they are like in the body of a mid twenties Tom Hanks, they are still thirteen year old boys who just want to play with I don't know, trampolines and pinball machines and stuff like that. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna have to say Jack. I'm, I'm, I'm in the, I'm in, I'm in the. I'm, I've done a fucking podcast on Francis Ford Coppola, so I've got to say Jack, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good choice. Yeah, I like, I like that. Maybe all men have a, have a child Tom Hanks inside them. Oh. <laughs> 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 That's that that, that that could have been phrased better, but I I, I totally understand <laughs> what you mean. Oh, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> this is what when you do hit the 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 big time. This is this is where they'll be coming back to 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 find you and cancel you, Molly. That is how I get cancelled. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have it any other way. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, what is your relationship with Airheads and when did you first see it? Um, so I never seen this as like a kid or anything. It was 94. I don't remember this um, 
being very like being advertised as a mm-hmm. young I don't think I, I do know that it bombed at, at the box office and stuff so I don't really remember it as like at the time but I did watch it when I was about 19 or 20 so I used to work in CEX amazing yeah of course it did like (laughs) and it was great though because you got like so many dvds like when they came out you know and they'd come in and you could just like first dibs on them um and i remember airheads coming in and it was like 50p and i was like what is this like never heard of it just the cover brendan fraser steve buscemi adam sandler dressed as like like 80s air, air, like hair metal band I was like this is my dream film just from looking at the cover and I bought it immediately and um turns out it wasn't my dream film <laughs> <laughs> like I feel like I did ex- see I do I do really like this film I'm already I'm already dissing it but I think to me like I love the characters I want to see them in something, but not heist. Yes, yes, yeah. I, t- I totally know what you mean. Like, uh, I think that was one of the things that, like, there's lots of things that I do really like about it. But I think, yeah, when I'd seen the cover, I was like, "This is the film I've been waiting for." Yeah, and then, well, it's, um, it it kind of looks like if you watch the trailer, it it looks like it's kind of going to be somewhat like Wayne's World and like bill and ted with a bit more like grit to it because obviously like is swearing like they're a bit more like i don't know like you see like obviously like a lot of snl alum in there whether it's adam sandler or chris farley and stuff like that and you've got like michael mckean because i remember seeing like trailers for this on vhs's in the 90s because i'm like the youngest of three so like there's a lot of like kind of early 90s vhs's kicking about when i was growing up I remember being like taken aback by it. Like, of all the people, it was Joe Montana, you know, like the the radio DJ, because oh, I yeah, loved, oh, yeah, and I loved I loved Baby's Day Out when I was a kid, oh, and yeah. he plays like one of the villains in that, and I don't like I don't know why. I was like, oh, it's got it's got the guy from Baby's Day Out, and I remember I remember seeing the trailer and be like, I gotta watch this film, and then like like. Sandler, <laughs> really into Sandler, massively into like George of the Jungle. So like they, again, they, it felt like when I first saw, yeah, it felt, yeah, yeah, it, it felt like purposely built for me. It is probably the best casting mm-hmm. ever. Yeah, <laughs> like it's just so good. Like you've got yeah, Chris Farley, you got guy who does the voice Fat Tony, Michael McKean, like amazing. Uh, you got Kramer in there. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, David Arquette. It's brilliant. It's so good. Um, the casting and like um, the one thing I think with because when I was like I re I rewatched it not long ago and um, like Michael McKean is obviously brilliant because you know you've got like uh, like Spinal Tap and everything, but for some reason there's so many films that he's in where he just kind of plays these kind of really boring characters mm-hmm. like he doesn't really bring that much to like he's not that entertaining in the film but he's like such a funny guy and there's like a few films that i see i feel like they waste him they put him in like they give him rubbish roles sometimes yeah. and i'm just like you know well, we, yeah. 
Well, yeah, so there's a lot of things like that, I think, where, I was, where you're like, oh, my God, and then you're like, oh. <laughs> well, like, what you get there from, like, Michael McKean is you kind of, like, get the impression, like, he just plays the company stooge, right? He's just, like, really, like, well... The, the radio is going to get changed into like he's the one doing the dirty dealings whether it's sort of like kramer he's like kramer's getting fucked basically i'm not quite sure what michael richard's character really is apart from like again like a kind of a, the he's he, he like when he came on screen it's like this feels like kramer like i like i know and obviously like but it, it, it genuinely felt like when kramer like becomes um like Art Vandelay or something like that, when he kind of becomes like one of these alter egos to get Jerry or George out of some mishap and like going in. Always, oh, always crawling about. <laughs> like, <laughs> you must have terrible knees. Like, <laughs> um, no, his his character was like, he's just like fumbling about the whole thing and it's kind of entertaining, like going back to it. Where does it go? Yeah. <laughs> doesn't go anywhere he just isn't in the film anymore it's honestly like they just forgot to film his last like arc of the plot because like the whole thing is like he's like oh you know in the vents like trying to do something what is it i don't know he yeah. just he doesn't he doesn't come back and there's no mention of him um because he gets to like near the end and i'm like kramer's gonna come back so he's gonna do something something's gonna happen and then it goes to like the future and they're in pr prison and it's like oh we just forgot we just forgot we did <laughs> <laughs> well that, that like with yeah with like the michael richardson it kind of feels like he his whole thing is like a riff on die hard right like him just yeah. crawling about the vents and there's there's like th this is a big question for me there is a moment in the film, and I like I I don't know how vents work, but I I don't think they work like this. There is a point where the vent has a clear top, like a glass top, and he is behind the sofa where Adam Sandler and Sue, like the 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 girl Susie from the rate, like uh, Nina Schmizenko, um, yeah, are like getting it on and. He yeah, there's like a glass top to the vent, and he's kind of like getting again. It's just all like pratfalls because like he's just getting like rattled about in there, just like really slamming against the sides. It's like just crawl on, just crawl. <laughs> like I don't know. I mean, his whole sole purpose for the film is to basically bring in the actual gun, like to to the party because he tries to like take over the situation. It's like drop out of the vent for one like do you know what I mean yeah. like, don't just like dangle your hand down like a lunatic just like pointing yeah. a pointing a, a an uzi at people or whatever but um and it's so loud and clumsy like he's not being discreet like you don't need to be in there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it stresses it stresses me out like <laughs> <laughs> so before we go any further molly i'd like to uh, always like to ask my guests to to tell us what this film is about would you mind giving us a little plot synopsis of this film okay i'll try um right so you've got Chaz, pip and rex uh they're in a band um like a a, a rock like hair metal type band like love motorhead and based in la and the kind of like losers and they want to get a record deal or get heard in the radio. So they decide to basically sneak into a radio station 
um, and get their tape played, their demo played. Um, and they go in with um, toy guns, just just in case that are filled with hot sauce, uh, <laughs> um, just in case they get in trouble, you know. And they get in and the DJ kind of like takes the mick out of them. Um, they end up taking... They end up just suddenly getting the guns out, taking them hostage. It's all live on air. Mm-hmm. SWAT team comes. It's a mess. They end up going to the police and being like, oh, uh, oh, they break the demo tape. Yeah. And then, so they need another one. So they like persuade the police, Chris Farley, oh. who's my favorite in it, by the way, oh. uh, just fumbling around. Um, they persuade Chris Farley to like go and find the one other demo tape that there is that the girlfriend's got. So he like ends up going to like whiskey a go go or something. We've got like <laughs> the male heads and like mosh pitting everywhere yeah. and finds the girl. <laughs> that tape's broken. Uh they end up small hostage stuff happens. They end up they end up uh getting a deal they end up getting a deal with someone and they have to play live, but yeah. they've got lip sync and Brennan Fraser's like we can't do that and also while this is I'm I'm all over the place sorry no, about this. Perfect. this <laughs> also, is perfect also while this is happening it's all live on air so like all the like metal heads are like oh my god we love them and um go and watch them do the show they won't sing uh they won't lip sync so they just like smash up guitars because they're so badass um <laughs> and then they end up in prison but only for three months yeah, and they play live in prison like a Johnny Cash thing. So, I guess I wanted to. It's good to have a, a female perspective on this, like because Brendan Fraser's character, he's quite. He's like you get from that. He's quite a problematic guy, and I guess like I'm, I'm not sure if you've encountered guys like this who are kind of like promise you the world. Do you know what I mean? And are happy to like just just bum like i'm gonna bum about chasing my dreams babe like you 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 bring in the bacon and like whilst i kind of uh do what i've got to do and then and then you can reap the rewards because that's basically what ends up saying to her right it's like once i'm living the dream you can come along for the ride like yeah (laughs) yeah i mean brendan fraser is a pretty much a loser in it Mm -hmm. very very hot in this film though almost beautiful so you know he's very He's very set. He's like, I, I say this as a straight man, like Brendan Fraser just oozes, oozes sex. And I love, uh, he's got like a big reveal in the third act is that he used to be like a nerd in school. But <laughs> <laughs> like, this is like a big part of the plot where it's like, oh no, I can't believe he was a nerd. <laughs> and, and we, don't we get, we get that amazing like Lemmy cameo where he's like, yeah. He, he, he he like reveals something about himself like I used to I used to run the school paper and it's like I'm pretty sure most like emos or like moshers that I know in school were pretty dweeby like no if I, like, I can't I was kind of on the periphery of of, of that and I, I wasn't a cool guy and it's like that thing of like is it a big surprise that like a lot of these people were nerdy Oh yeah, hundred percent. Although I do think that Lemmy was cool 
Oh, um, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let me do Yeah, yeah. I think Lemmy came out the womb smoking a cig and like had really had, had a dealer yeah. bring in some speed round for him before he was free. Yeah, he was a he was a cool, yeah. But um the, the thing with the, that that scene as well, it's like Lemmy's like a big part of like these posters of him, and there's like the Lemmy is God thing, and then Lemmy just appears and no one mm-hmm. reacts. <laughs> is he is he a different character? He's supposed to be someone else, and we just do they just not care? Like because to me, this is another annoying thing about the film, because it's it's so good in some ways, and then there's other ways where I'm like, huh? Like they got Lemmy in that film, there's so much they could have done with him. That's just not acknowledge him there. Like, why? Why was that the decision? But um, yeah, but or, anyway, or, yeah. or for some reason, like the the payoff of this film could have been that like Lemmy happened to be in LA, like came down for it, saw them, and like he's like, oh, I love what you're doing, lads. I'm gonna take you on tour, and that's like the kind of like what we get at the end is like they served their time in prison. <laughs> Then they're supporting Motorhead on tour. That would have been like a real like fist pump. Like, come on! That would have been so good. There is so many, so many things like that. <laughs> uh, um, but with the relationship, yeah, it was super. It's toxic because Brendan Fraser is definitely a loser. Which I think is. I remember watching that um, that documentary, like the something the Metal Years. I can't remember what it's called, and it was like all about. Um, oh, is it the? Um... The, the like death of western civil like or like the yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, i've seen so, clips of that and those guys are fucking great they are well, but it's great they're great because they kind of like they all look the part but they're all um they, they all talk about how they hit on girls like you know pull these girls so they can have a place to sleep at night and like they'll cook them food which i think is so funny like so they're basically like you like they're getting using these women just so they have like they have nothing like they're mm-hmm. just massive like losers and like slobs or whatever so i do feel like uh brendan fraser kind of portrayed that kind of role quite nice because he's still very sweet he's not like he's mm. very likable he's just kind of like he is like an airhead i suppose but the girlfriend was like actually like assaulting him like yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> constantly like i felt <laughs> bad for him <laughs> Yeah. so it was just all around uh, just a big mess like mm-hmm. so when they were like getting back together i was like mm, i don't know i think it would be better if they didn't like, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, what i think works really well with this uh film is, especially at the beginning is it's got such um like it tells the story like or like introduces you to everyone with such like brevity like you kind of not like when you get like brendan fraser sneaking into the record studio and stuff like that or like the the, yeah the recording company's like offices and stuff and then that exchange between him and Kayla it's like I've got who they are and then um you get this moment when you get introduced to uh is it Rex and Pip and it's kind of you see why Chaz is the leader of the pack this feels like a, a perfect time to talk about Steve Buscemi what do you what do you what do you think of Steve Buscemi in this film um I think that I, I really like Steve Buscemi first. I mean, I like everyone in this film anyway. Um, he's just a bit of a psychopath in it, really. <laughs> if I had to describe him, um, I think he's definitely kind of the least lovable. I don't really understand his like intentions a lot of the time in mm-hmm. the film. Um, I don't quite 
I feel like it, it's probably the least like it's not as strong of a character as the other two. Mm-hmm. I do think he's cool though. I think he's like definitely like the most like rock and roll there mm-hmm. out of the three of them. He's definitely the most like he's not a poser, is a um well, even he, though he works in a supply shop. But. He very much feels like one of those like I think every kind of group, especially when you like get into rock and stuff like that. There's like that guy you'll meet down the pub who is definitely like 20 years older than you. Yeah. And he's like hanging around with like 18 year olds and like kind of telling you stories. And like he looks considerably older than Adam Sandler and Brendan oh. Fraser. Like I think it's just the curse of Steve Buscemi. He's kind of looked like a, a 40 year old man, like ever since he's like kind of started off his career. If they re if they did an airheads too, which would be amazing. Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine brought those three back. Um, Steve would look exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, uh, that, is, that is something I, I thought about because obviously we're living in the age of like these legacy sequels and stuff like that. And like, um, you know, whether it's like Halloween or Scream and stuff like that, and like horror or even like Dumb and Dumber 2 or whatever, like yeah. if you're getting comedies. To see, like, I would, I, I would be there, like, for for Airheads too. I know nobody's calling for it like they were for Bill and Ted, but like, I, I'd love to see the these three back in action. I would love it, and especially like with the return of Brendan Fraser. Anyway, like, mm. what a great, what a great role to come back. And like I said, like, I think, um, I do think, um, I, I, I would love to see this this these characters and the world of it in a in another premise. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than just a heist, because I think I would really like to just know like the rise and fall of the the kind of like band and everything. I would find that more interesting. So I feel like there's just so much you could do for the sequel that could potentially do way better than the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, the... is definitely not as hunky as he used to be, though. Um. But, you know, maybe that will work. Yeah, I don't think that matters. I think the thing that, like, Brendan Fraser's got about him, and he, he does it really well in this, is like, he's really sexy in it, but he's just really sweet. And, like, you get that you get that impression of him as a person as well. There's that amazing clip, I think, like, we, we, we like, I shared it to you at one point, and you, you, but you'd already seen it, of uh, Brendan Fraser playing his uh, Nintendo Switch when he's doing, like, Zoom interviews. And it's just like, I'm Thank so you. glad you're back. I know, I love that. Oh, I love it. Also, that like weirdly connects to the film mm-hmm. because do you know the receptionist? She's like playing her Game Boy or whatever. It's, I think it's and a, that yeah, yeah, in that's, because she's so invested in a game mm-hmm. in a Game Boy. I feel like it's like a little cute um, mirror in of Brendan Fraser, just like that is on his a little bit. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> I think it's like a. A Sega Game Gear as well, which is like yeah. I I love it because I, I I I had one way too late. I think I had one in like the late nineties when people like had when people had PlayStations. My parents were like, oh, your uncle found this in the loft. Do you want this? It's like it's a color screen and I can play Sonic. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that that so like the 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 takeover itself. I think like. Well, yeah, I think this, this this shows what a madman fucking Steve Buscemi is in this film as well. Mm, definitely, yeah, he's definitely the um, the psycho and like the anti-hero of the three of them. Because yeah, Brendan Fraser is really sweet, mm-hmm. um, and Adam Sandler's the 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 dope, really, isn't he? Like the 
Um, yeah, I think it's a really interesting film because it's before Adam Sandler is Adam Sandler, right? Before it is a film to Adam Sandler. It's it's quite rare. Yeah, that... I think he just done like SNL stuff at this point. Mm-hmm. Maybe there was the odd film, but it wasn't. It wasn't who he who he is now. And I love we get moments of him, uh, like those things that people love about him. There's the there's this great moment when him and Steve Buscemi are kind of he's teaching him how to become like a a madman hostage taker, basically. Yeah, you get the uh, Adam Sandler's doing a voice in this film. What do you make of what do you make of Adam Sandler's voices he does in movies in general, and what do you make of the one in this one, Molly? In general, you know, like, yeah, he's like idiot voice. Yeah, because <laughs> there's either movies where he's like just Adam, Sar- he's angry man a lot of the time, which yeah. we, we kind of get a bit of both. We get a, we get that in this, and we also get him doing. Oh, I'm Adam Sandler. I'm gonna talk a yeah. bit like this. Which you know what you thought? I used to think like you can't. You can't Adam Sandler can't do that voice anymore in 2021. Hoobie Halloween, he did that voice. What? <laughs> what was going on? <laughs> He's still doing it, and everyone's just like, all right with it. Like, okay. He's <laughs> um, not it's not as bad in, in this one. He, I think mean, sometimes it was kind of hard to tell what, what they were going for in here because he's not amplifying it as much, mm-hmm. but he's definitely still like a bit like, yeah, a little bit like the dopey kind of one. Um, but then was also kind of like a bit of the heartthrob one with the other girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean... I wouldn't say like it's his funniest role or anything like it's definitely a tamed down uh Adam Sandler role. Um he was really just he was quite just quite likable rather than like hilarious really, weren't they? Yeah. Um Yeah. I, I think but I, I loved his look. I loved the crop to, uh, crop tops oh, and the, uh... I got a lot I got, I got a lot of time for for <laughs> for, for, for crop t- I I recently watched Rocky Free again and that is a film that is like at one point there's a cropped vest and i was like poor that's that's a look that's got to come back i'm 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 already thinking maybe if i shed a few pounds that's gonna be the the, the summer 2022 vibe try and get that going oh yeah i i'm all aboard that <laughs> top supplies 100 um, um <laughs> he was like a looking back as well Adam Sandler's character was weirdly racist sometimes. Mm. Like, like which you were a bit like, can't say that anymore. Um, when you watch watching it back recently. Um, so there's definitely like flaws in this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, like not to not to like defend it. I think like that kind of ig- it all comes down to ignorance, right, with his character, because yeah. he is just it I th- it does it well in portraying that he is like just this kind of real simpleton who doesn't quite understand social cues and stuff like that and like I d- yeah i guess he's made a career of yeah 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 or, or starts talking he, i think he talks to Yvonne the receptionist at one point about like oh when you're in a when when you're in a store and and and, and they assume you're stealing and she's like that's never happened to me and like i think the fact that like that is her reaction 
makes that funnier in the fact yeah, that like, that's you've made that's a, you've made a racist like stereotypical remark and she's gone no that doesn't happen that doesn't happen to me that is your prejudice like projected yeah. on me it's kind of it's kind of like the always sunny thing where like they they can be terrible people because you know mm-hmm. that they're being terrible people rather than um them kind of being like this is acceptable um so yeah definitely. um it's one of those things you know when you re-watch like 90s comedies oh, yeah. now and you're just kind of like oh like, like yeah. it was definitely like one of those i think and at parts but yeah it's not as bad as some like it's not like i don't know like you look yeah, back on some, some horrendous ones yeah you look back on like the american pie films and it's kind of like your eyes widen being like really this is the final act like this is like some kind of like he's basically trying to dupe a girl into some some kind of hidden camera like porn situation okay <laughs> like this is where this is leading up to great um but it's great that you mentioned it's always sunny in philadelphia because like obviously that that is a show that is predicated on assholes being assholes and what this film does really well is get you on side like really quickly with people who really like you shouldn't be on side with because like even though they are dopes and just they they have their dreams of becoming a band they they are still taking people hostage whether it's like water pistols of hot pepper sauce and it's like that it, it it still doesn't negate the crime that they're committing right yeah and it to me it's like what what's the point because like they, you're gonna play your song and then you're gonna go to prison like it was always it was always known that that would happen yeah. and that is what happens but there's kind of like they're not they have no um they're not kind of like oh what if or what about the consequences? Or even kind of worried. They're not worried about the consequences whatsoever. Like, it's kind of, like, kind of hard to, like, understand their, why they think this is a good idea. But I suppose that is why it's called Ed. Yeah, I'd be interested to know how this played with, like, the kind of the community or, like, yeah, like the, the hair metal scene, like, whether they mm-hmm. were, like, this is just poking fun at us. Do you know what I mean? Because the film like manages to get in like loads of cool references to it and very much feels like it it is a part of that scene. But at the same time, the whole the whole idea of it is they're fucking like they're fucking idiots. Like they they, they like and it's, it's like saying, like you said about that that documentary, like these guys do are fucking clueless to the real world and that all they care about is becoming rock stars and i guess like i don't know yeah it's a it's an interesting thing to think about because it's got that weird dichotomy in it i suppose as well though because it's 94 and i think that it's definitely kind of you know playing taking the mick out of Mm -hmm. like the 80s that it's probably like one of those things now where it's kind of well, at the time, it it was it become like it had eaten itself that hair metal scene, and it was gone, and grunge was coming in, mm-hmm. and like I suppose like they've they've got like you know like Mohead is was still cool, like you know, uh, uh, and this sort of music that is still cool, but I suppose it, it's definitely like a parody of like the eighties, like you know, like when it, you know that whole time. So it was like it kind of. Work, probably worked then and then you've got like um 
uh, Beavis and Butthead are in it, which yeah. is like so. And I and I think that does make you know like that would have been like huge at the time. So mm-hmm. I, I, it's kind of like all in that same world of kind of the goofy uh, rock and roll. I love thing. the fact that even Beavers and Butthead like look down on them when they're like, yeah. we saw we, we saw you the other week and we thought you we thought you stank and stuff like that. It's like yeah. I like. I'd totally forgotten about that that kind of like cameo, and I'm I'm a I'm a massive like Beavis and Butthead fan. Like I, like it's Beavis perfect. and Butthead do America is oh, an absolute gem. Like yeah. <laughs> <They're> really... <laughs> <laughs> it's... no, that was really cool. Um, I love Beavis and Butthead. So look, I've got I know I don't know. It's... Oh, amazing. <laughs> I love that. And, uh, <laughs> um, I did think that was a very. I think because I think this film like. It has a good it has a good soundtrack. It has uh it gets humor really well, like that dopey kind of that Beavis and Butthead like Mike Judge type thing really does that so well. And like aesthetically it looks nice. Um so yeah, and the parody of like that kind of 80s era, I think it just does really well with like really um great actors so that that is definitely like the thing that i love about it well yeah we've talked about like some of the great actors in this and like some of the cameos so obviously like o'malley the the cop in charge is ernie hudson from the ghostbusters which is is crazy yeah but then this film's not got one but two ghostbusters in it because we get harold ramis for this absolutely barnstorming scene that i guess has gone down kind of like is is when people talk about this film they talk about this exact moment who are you chris moore capital records a and r come on let me in you told you man things are going our way look at this back from the door toss me some id hey 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 right, man, so how'd you find us? The cops told me you guys are looking for a record contract. There's something going on here we got to take immediate advantage of, guys. Yeah. Come on, let's talk, huh? Yeah, what's that? What's that? Will you look? This is hot. You guys are the hottest thing since Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Marky Mark, man, that guy sucks. Okay, forget Marky Mark. There's magic out here, guys. Let's talk contracts. I promise you, someday we're going to be backstage at the forum laughing about this. All right, let me ask you a question. What side are you taking the big David Lee Roth Van Halen split? What do you mean? What kind of question is that? What side did you take, Halen or Roth? Van Halen. He's a cop. Oh, Oink, oink. Strictly a judgment call. They sold a lot of records after Dave left the group. Come on, one more question. Hey, come on, Jeff, one more. And then we get the amazing who would win in a wrestling match, Lemmy or God. And the uh, trick question, Lemmy is God, which, like, ah, like, if there's, like, an enduring line to... to, to to be taken from this film it's that right it's kind of oh yeah that's the best line it's this film's parting message if anything it's kind of you can tune out after that and be like yeah i think lemmy is god yeah 100 (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i guess we've got to talk about david arquette because what the fuck Mm -hmm. is he doing in this film molly can you explain it to me i don't know what he's doing i don't know like (laughs) he's so annoying in this film (laughs) (laughs) like like um, you know, like we were saying before about kind of um, uh, Adam Sandler kind of amping up these kind of like idiot characters, mm-hmm. and he didn't really do it as much. It was a little bit more subtle in this, slightly, you know, or a bit. But David Arquette, what? <laughs> like he was just a a buffoon. Mm-hmm. Like he, he didn't need to be there as well. <laughs> like, it was what? just. 
it's not like one of the things it's not even established what he does at the like at the radio station he's kind of found in a cupboard and he's like well what's going on man like he's kind of like plays (laughs) an even more dumber version of them and there's this scene that like is seared into my because it's it's just weird there's like a montage going on and it keeps cutting back to david arquette playing the game gear but he's like gurning and there's like a a magnifying glass on his face he's like shaking (laughs) yeah like if it had a sound it would be that like it's just like and it's like what the fuck is he doing honestly he's definitely the worst character in this film (laughs) i i I, I somewhat love him just for like the the weird peroxide yeah yeah I did like his look as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I love that you kind of get the thing because you think, oh, maybe he's like, he's in the same scene as them. And like, he's even looked down upon upon those guys because like, oh, he's, he's a surfer dude. And it's like, oh, is it? Is he? It's only like, because um, I think he, he escapes, doesn't he, from, from the radio station and then just wants to come back because he's that dumb. He's like, oh, I was having so much fun in there. I want to come back. Oh God, bloody! And it's it's mad because like you think about he he plays like a lot of daft characters though, doesn't he? Yeah, I always get confused <laughs> because I think like I saw Scary Movie before I saw Scream. So like his the spoof of his character in Scary Movie is got more of an impact on my brain than his character in Scream. So I just think like. He is, re- but I think he is quite like a a doofus in that as well, isn't he? Oh, he is. He is 100%. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I love the fact that they've like, um, like the trailer for the new screams come out, and all of a sudden, like David Arquette's character is like quite moody, and like all of a sudden, he's like older, sexy man. It's like that's not what that character was. He was like kind of no. a bit of a hapless fool. Like, I was talking about this with my friend uh, recently, actually. We were talking about how David Arquette was kind of like the hunk at one point. Mm-hmm. Like, he was like a huge, um, you know, like with, with like Johnny Depp or whatever. He was like known as like this massive hunk. But I always feel like a lot of the roles that I feel like he, he fell off the radar because like a lot of the roles didn't really like fit the. Mm-hmm that thing yeah, you know yeah. you know, that will play like the hunky characters or whatever and brad pitt does but i don't think david arquette did and then he's definitely not known as a as like the hunk anymore but then he then he went like all lynchian which is probably cooler really but um i i love the fact for looking for his imdb when i was like researching this episode is that like he's actually a wrestler as well yes i know there's a documentary <laughs> about it isn't there yeah and it's like the fact that like you, there's just every so often like even from the 90s there's like things where it's like david arquette in like uh aew or like like wwe like like rosters and it's like yeah he's in in a couple of episodes of that and i'm like that's amazing i love the fact that like he's, he's just a massive nerd at heart i i, I imagine yes yeah um, Big love to Dick Rackett. It was a mad, it was a mad role, but you've got to love him. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about. I, I guess, yeah, you said he's your favourite in this film, and I think he's mine as well. Chris Farley, <laughs> the late great Chris Farley. What a fucking performance, right? 
Very good. I mean, yeah, the like bumbling police, bumbling cop, you know, you've got to love it. Um, there wasn't enough of him in it, actually, mm-hmm. I think. Um, I think because there was so many um, characters in it, some certain people didn't get like enough time almost. Again, like Kramer, who didn't get an ending to his story. But like, yeah, I really liked that Chris Farley in this. Um, He's got amazing face already, acting, right? Yeah, he does. He definitely does. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed the scene where he goes to like the the concert, <laughs> like, and he's like, no one's acknowledging that he's a policeman at all, and they're just kind of like punching him, and he pulls off his nipple. It's when like it's it's the the moments like we get of Chris Farley, like like that one, and. I don't, he just looks lost a lot of the time, like, like when he's being told to do. And like, I, it's almost like I'd love to see the backstory of his character. Like, it feels like it's his. It, he conveys that it's like his first day on the job, somewhat. Like, he's just getting like pushed around by everyone, whether it's O'Malley or like, I think one of the other. It just cuts to him, and he's getting picked on by a guy who's like, I think your belt's at breaking point, big boy. Whilst he's trying to put oh. up, like, the police line, do not cross tape and stuff. It's just like. His fate. Yeah. You want to hug him. You want just want to be like, oh, it's, it's okay, Chris. Like you're gonna get, you're gonna get through this, this, this tough ordeal. <laughs> no, give him a break. And- <laughs> I love how he, he just goes to get that tape. Like there must have been an easier way around that. Like <laughs> well, the, the, somebody, somebody really like brilliantly pointed this out on Twitter to me. It was like, what would what would airheads look like? Like this plot couldn't work in 2021. Like, because it's like that whole thing of like, if they needed to find her, it'd be like, oh, just, just call her mobile. Do you know what I mean? Or like, yeah. Even yeah. if you'd made a demo, it's like. Although oh. I think she did have a phone though. And he was trying to ring her, but she was ignoring it or something. No, I think she, she'd gone out. Cause you hear their, their shared oh, voicemail. Yeah. And he's like, she's yeah. out for the night, man. Who knows where she's going to be? Maybe the maybe the whiskey. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, but like, yeah. Do people just hang out in the whiskey on their own? You know, like, I guess if you're, the bar. If, if you're a part of the scene, right? Because she seems like she's known because those guys are like, I'm not sure whether it's a thing of like, they know her or they're like, she's an attractive woman and no way would this, would she like, well, one, like, why, like, he, he's a cop, so there's a reason he's talking about it. But her, their thing is, like, oh, you're, all right, all right, fat boy, like, what's your, what, why are you trying to talk to this sexy woman? It's like, well, he's a cop. That's his reason for talking to her. Yeah. Um, I, do, I do wish, like, I was that cool, though, where you just, like, walk into the whiskey and hang out. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. Just- vibing in there like <laughs> i i'm i'm too i'm like too socially awkward that i couldn't like even like going into like a coffee shop or like if i go in i'm like it's to go even if i've got nowhere to be i'm just like kind of like, walking around aimlessly like uh oh yeah <laughs> this is me now like yeah yeah the the confidence to be able to hang out on the sunset strip yeah that alone. is yeah it to be the dream uh yeah i don't think this film would work today as well because clearly if you had a demo it would be in an email somewhere it would be on the cloud it would be like set do you know what I mean like you would you you would have an mp3 on your phone or something like that and just just 
pass me the aux cable. Let's get this party going. But it annoys me they've only, even so, like, even though back then, like, it annoys me they only have two coffees. Like, make more coffees, surely. Yeah. And, and it's 94, right? CDs, I'm not sure what CD burning was like around then. I know in the late 90s, it was, it was bloody kicking off. I was, I was burning CDs left, right, and centre. Yeah. Um, so, uh, is there, I'm trying to think that if there's any other areas of this film that we've, we've missed out any any key scenes or moments that that you feel like we've missed out on molly um hmm. well it was i think it's based on dog day afternoon isn't it i think that's quite uh oh i didn't even yes it is right well yeah a thing i wanted to ask you is is alan partridge alpha papa just basically a remake of this film as well that is so funny you said that because i watched Airheads recently, and I watched Alpha Papa straight after. <laughs> it's got a similar vibe, like, right? Yeah, and I was like, I want to watch Alpha Papa, and I watched it immediately after it. Because mm, so they're there, yeah. They're it's great. just a mix Dog Day Afternoon and Alpha Papa. I think that Steve Coogan just wanted to make Airheads, but with Alan Partridge. Yeah, because Steve Coogan, right? Like everyone always forgets that he's kind of got this real fucking bad boy streak to him where like obviously like he dated Courtney yeah. Cox and like definitely probably like Courtney Love Courtney, Courtney Love. Love no sorry not Courtney Cox I'm getting my I'm getting my I'm getting him confused with David Arquette uh, yeah. um and she said that the only thing she regrets other than taking taking crack or something was going out with Steve Coogan which I think is wild <laughs> like what <laughs> what happened in that time frame that is saying something that's the thing I guess obviously he's he's someone who's so synonymous with the character of Alan Partridge that like there's definitely got to be some darkness under there somewhere right yeah (laughs) but yeah I I love I love that kind of there's a the subplot of this of Michael McKean's character is selling the radio station essentially so I think that's where it really feels like at the alpha papa thing because even the yeah. even the radio djs and staff like end up siding with um the the kidnappers because they're like oh you're gonna fuck us over anyway this is gonna become like was it radio rain listen to the sounds of the rain yeah <laughs> amazing um yeah is, is um, anything else who would, missed? who would be pat from Alpha Papa, like, is that Brendan Fraser? Oh, it would be Rex, wouldn't it? Yeah, he's the, he's the loose cannon, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to have the loose cannon. I think yeah. it's Rex because he's the one who, who instigates it. And I guess the rest of the film is Brendan Fraser trying to, um, I don't know, play damage control of what Rex has started. But like, even yeah. then, they they all seem to be quite loving it it's like we could like it's the the kids are running the school like we'll put on what music we want we'll go out and i think something that felt quite bizarre and it's mentioned in the film as a a weird moment and especially like now we're like watching it when they get on top of the car and just start shouting rodney king like as a chant to, to get them to turn the power back on oh yeah i forgot about that (laughs) <laughs> which yeah again feels quite quite it's quite a dark thing to be like referencing like the the 
what the death of a black man at the hands of the LAPD like yeah a little bit yeah it's a, <laughs> it's a weird one um yeah so as you mentioned this film ends off with uh, them in prison because that's how it's always going to go um where yeah where where do you think these characters would go next what what would what, what would you what would you like to have seen that happen to them after after they get out of prison um, I'd imagine, and if they did do a film, I'd imagine that they'd be like a, a good rise and fall story. So like they would make, you know, they'd, they'd be massive. They like, then like fame gets too much to handle. They get themselves into some mad predicaments. They lose everything. And the back to square one. Perfect. In my head, like a good ride, that would be a really good story. Like when the whole, like yeah, when the fame gets to the head. Mm-hmm. I, I'd love to see that, <laughs> but I hope they're okay. That sounds, but but then at the end they realise that all they needed was each other. Exactly, and like I love, like I love the fact that like this film, the whole thing is about selling out and stuff like that, and obviously like being true to who you are to some degree and. It's. I think it's greatly like it's a great bit of stunt casting and having Judd Nelson as the stuffy like record executive because like obviously so synonymous with the character of Bender from The Breakfast Club and it almost feels like that's like the antithesis of that character. Like he would very much have been either Chaz Rex or Pip. Like if in his later life. So yeah, I, I I love that kind of. I love that and I love his like little shit stained beard he has on the bottom of his lip oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) um do you know if they really um like did brendan fraser really sing the song it sounds like him right like it definitely does like yeah like let me double check here there is if it is, then ah, oh, the Lone Ranger's hit single "Degenerated" is actually a song by 1980s punk group Reagan Youth. It doesn't say da, 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 if. Oh, I think I do. It. I think I think that the band there was a band whose song it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I don't know who sings the version in the film, but um. I'm sure that they ended up getting sued for using an existing song by that band. I'm sure I could be <laughs> making this up, but I'm sure something happened and they got loads of money for it. Or there was some kind of mix-up. and That that feels very anti-punk, right? Suing. Yeah. So- <laughs> um, yeah, there is no mention whether it is Brendan Fraser singing, but, like, I I think it is. It sounds like, it definitely, like, it sounds like his voice and it doesn't feel like that much of a stretch to be able to to be able to sing that like it's it's a it's, yeah. a, it's a great song i was kind of like listening to it at the end going like oh like if this film had done well you could imagine like that would have been a great little like imagine them touring as the lone oh. rangers like yeah like oh my god <laughs> how different oh their career God. i think if this film was massive like their careers could have been totally different they could have been like almost like the um oh what are they uh the spinal tap guys kind of just having yeah. this career and seeing these ensemble pieces which is those three i know that steve buscemi and 
uh, Adam Sandler kind of are in each other's pockets and Steve Buscemi's in what like every single Adam Sandler film basically yeah well look, it's, it's crazy because this film they're all pretty new at mm-hmm. the time yeah. been in uh, I think Steve Buscemi had already been in um Tarantino films, I don't know, but around or maybe at the time '94. Yeah, so he would have already been in Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, and he would have um, had his but, cameo in Pulp Fiction as Buddy Holly. Yeah, but but it, it's interesting that the film didn't do that well, but all the actors in it are, went on to be very very successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's so. It's one of those weird anomalies where, like, everyone down the board of like the the acting talent, like, is massive names, whether like from the past or going like going forward from that. And it's uh, it's I don't know, it's weird that it didn't do that well because I've uh, there's there is it's it's got a lot of charm and it like this is probably an impossible question to to ask, but like of the kind of triumphant of Bill and Ted, Wayne's World, or the Airheads posse, like, who would you pip as your favourite? Ooh. It's hard, isn't it? <laughs> really hard. I'd probably say Wayne's World, I think. Mm-hmm. But it's hard because it's all, it's different reasons. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that is hard. What's yours? Um, I, I, I'm like a ver- like very big Bill and Ted fan, just because I, I think yeah. like they've got that sweetness to them. But I think like this film sit like these guys fit perfectly in the middle between them. They've kind of got like the nastier edge of Wayne's World and the the sweetness of Bill and Ted. It's like I said at the beginning, really. If if there was not high story and they were in a different mm-hmm. story, they would 100 percent probably be the my picks. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I feel like they were too restricted yeah. in that plot, mm-hmm. and I think that is why it didn't do well. I think there's too there's too though you know it, it's too big of a not big, but yeah, they were too restricted in it. Where there's just so much stuff mm-hmm. that could have happened, yeah. um, and I would have liked to have seen. I think. Um, because I'm not generally a big fan of heist films in, in like it's not my yeah, yeah. Uh, genre at all. Like I don't mind like parody versions. Obviously, this isn't like Al Papa and that, but it's not a big my, a big thing that mm-hmm. genre that I'm, I like. So yeah, I think that is probably the one. The one thing. Right. Yeah. Airheads too. We need it. <laughs> the, the 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 campaign starts now. We've got, we've got it really team. does. We've got Give team. it the justice it deserves. Like, come two, on. Two-person <laughs> campaign. We're gonna we're gonna be flying banners. <laughs> uh, uh, we're gonna be sneaking it, sneaking into film studios, trying to force them to to play to to, to with with a script that we'll we'll, we'll pen as soon as this recording's and a, over. And a water gun with hot sauce. So. Perfect, Molly. I can't wait. <laughs> um, well, but before we wrap this up, I just want to uh, ask you this. What would you have thought of this film if instead of Brendan Fraser it starred John Cusack? No. <laughs> and that yeah, that's all you need on that. John Cus- yeah. I mean, he's too cynical. John Cusack seems too cynical. And um I know you recently mentioned on I think it was on the Down Daniel podcast that you got uh, blocked by William Shatner 
very early on in this podcast's uh, existence, I got blocked on Twitter by John Cusack. So he very much is this is the 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 fuck the fuck John Cusack podcast as much as it is. No way, yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm not. I'm not a fan. Fuck John Cusack. <laughs> fuck William Shatner. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, so, oh, Brendan Fraser. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad he's back. The the Bre- uh, Brennanaissance, like uh, I'm, I'm all here for it. I'm all here for that. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited for his new films, and yeah. he is just an angel. I think I'm going to treat myself later to watching the new Steven Soderbergh film. Like I was kind of, I like Steven Soderbergh anyway, but like when I saw that Brendan Fraser was in it, I was like. Oh, yes, please. Like, uh, I'll have a bit of Brendan Fraser. Um, so I always like to uh, score these films. Oh, no, before we get to the scoring, uh, let's go through some Coppola connections. So uh, did you manage to figure out, are there people who have worked with any of the other Coppola family members in any other films that are also in this film, Molly? Oh. Well, hmm. Yeah. Um, wait. Am I trying to make a connection with an actor in this film? Yeah. So I'll, 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 connects the couplers. I because you you did funny people with Jason Schwartzman, right? Can mm-hmm. I do that with yeah. that? Like, can I connect that? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that, that, that's <laughs> on, that's on my list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And can I can I is is this a connection? Just I don't know the David Arquette, Patricia Arquette thing. Can I do that? Or does that have to be acting? Yeah, no, That's- well, yeah, that 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 is one. And also, David Arquette was in the Outsiders TV show, which Francis Ford Coppola was an executive producer on because it was mm-hmm. based on the film that he made in the nineteen eighties. Um, yeah, mm. I'll I'll rattle off a few. There's some. I, I just kind of had a boring evening on IMDb to scrolling through people's pages to see if there's any links, but. Steve Buscemi is in Zanderley, Conair, and G-Force with Nicolas Cage. He's on. He's in On the Road, which was produced by Roman Coppola, and he's in Martin Scorsese's directed section, Life Lessons, in the anthology New York Stories, which also has a segment by Francis Ford Coppola, and is, of course, worked with Jonathan Schwartzman in 1998 in Armageddon. As Rockhound playing playing another playing another fucking wild card, it it seems like that 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 is that is Steve Buscemi's nineties, right? He kind of plays the the real bad guy in Con Air, the kind of like serial murder rapist like kind of guy, and then yeah, uh, Armageddon. He's the guy who kind of gets space dementia and tries to kill everyone with like some big ray gun or whatever. <laughs> nice. Um, so many connections just then. Just... There's more. Adam Sandler is also in Little Nicky, of course, which appeared Patricia Arquette and was a producer on The House Bunny, which Talia Shire's son, Matt Shire, was like a production assistant on. Michael oh. McKean is in Memoirs of the Invisible Man, which Stephanie Schwartzman worked in the costume department for. And he's in Jack. Your favourite Francis Ford Coppola film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and let's yeah, let's rattle. Off, I'll rattle off a couple. This is quite 
I always find this section can be quite boring. Uh, Judd Nelson, like Nicolas Cage, has an uncredited cameo in Never on Tuesday. Uh, Nina Schmizenko, who plays Susie, is in The Bling Ring and is also in Tucker, The Man in His Dreams, which is directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Another weird one here is Marshall Bell is in... I think he's the guy... Uh, let me double-check Marshall Bell here. Uh, yeah, Marshall Bell is the, like, SWAT team leader who, like, is a great character in this film. The one who, like, takes Kramer under his wing and keeps misunderstand like keeps mishearing what he's saying and he's i think he says like i was an accountant in the military and he's like no you won't be accountable don't worry like or, or yeah. um, he, he ends up going on some mad long story about how his wife left him for a pool cleaner and then obviously he gives kramer the gun because he finds out that pip is a pool cleaner and like again that feels like a thread that could have been pulled upon a bit more is that thing that you find out that pip was the guy who his wife slept with or something like that that would have been great <laughs> yeah. um so yeah let's wrap up these connections and then i'll ask you some impossible questions uh joe montagna the voice of fat tony is in the godfather free and alan covert who plays the other pol- you know when you're first introduced to chris farley there's like another policeman who goes okay like boss or something like that um that's adam sandler's stalwart who kind of crops up in all of his films alan covert so he plays the caddy in um happy gilmore and plays his best friend in the wedding singer sammy the guy with the michael jackson glove and stuff like that so yeah you see the seeds of where everyone's going um so let me ask you molly what is the perfect wine pairing for this film obviously we've established that the coppolas love wine is this a red wine film is this a white wine film is this a sparkling wine film what would what would be the perfect wine for this film can i pick book fast oh yeah of course you can it's a it's a tonic wine cheap summit that gets you pissed summit rock and roll it's book fast (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is perfect that's the first that's the first shout out we've had for buckfast on this podcast <laughs> yeah it feels like what sweaty moshers would would be drinking right the, the goal exactly. is to get to get fucked up as quick as possible and buckfast is a way to get there exactly okay. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't go any better than that so um is it a a mid shelf uh bottom shelf or top shelf wine i said that out of order but it, it makes the same sense well, yeah, it's got to be bottom shelf. The film? So basically, the film is a bottom oh, shelf. Oh, you meant film. the wine? Well, the, yeah, yeah, the wine and, and, and the film, yeah. It's basically, is this a good or bad film? Um, It's a good film. It's it's not amazing, but it's fun. Yeah. Um, It's fun. I, en- I enjoy it. It makes me, I enjoy it. It makes me feel happy. Um, It's just silly. It's just like a silly 90s film. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has lots of flaws in the plot, but yeah, it's it's cool. It's like the equivalent of like, you know, kind of trashy nineties MTV stuff. You know, yeah. like that. It, it really like embraces that era nicely, especially in America, like American uh, kind of yeah. yeah things it braces nicely but yeah as a film i mean it's just in the middle it's 
It's nice. It's a perfect like uh, beer, beers and like a pizza movie. Do you know what I mean? You got a few mates around. You can't. Oh, pizza is necessary. Yeah. Pizza, pizza, buckfast. Pizza, buckfast, and like you. You can have beers, but you're only allowed to shotgun them. Do you know what I mean? You've got to like drink them in ridiculous, or like do like a a, a beer funnel, or do you know what I mean? Like beer. Yeah, beer pong. Yeah, and beer, stuff. yeah, yeah. You got you got to re- you got to really go dirty with it. You got to drink. I don't know. You got to drink 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 a pint out of a Doc Martin boot or something. Yes, experience <laughs> this film. Um, so uh, amazing. Uh, let's yeah, let's get onto the absolute impossible question of this podcast is which. Coppola family member would you keep but in doing so you get rid of the filmographies of the entire rest of the family Nicholas Cage oh would you like to clarify why it's Nicholas Cage for us well you've just got you've got such a you've got you've got everything you've got you crappy films that are funny you've got you know amazing films you've got leaving Las Vegas I could you know which Moonstruck, my favorite film ever. Um, you've got everything. He's he's funny, and I don't I don't want to kill him. Mm-hmm. Because I don't have an emotional connection to <laughs> like I don't, I don't have to worry about that. So yeah, it's got it's got to be Nick Cage. It's sorry, and I'm sure there's a lot of film bros that are like, nah, you can't do that. But it is Nicolas Cage. Well, I think you're in a safe space here because this this podcast started off as a Nicolas Cage podcast, so very much like. Uh, the the listeners are very much on side and kind of know my opinions on Nicolas Cage. Like, yeah, he's he's fascinating. And I always I always love the idea that you never like you never. He's like a bag of revels. Like, you just don't know what you're gonna get with each new film that comes out. It's like exactly, it's exciting when you hear on <laughs> Nick Cage. It's so exciting. You do not know. Like, I don't get that with. Any, any, like Sophia Coppola, I love, but I know, I know what I'm getting. Yeah, you're gonna get all of that forever. Like mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage is, is different mm-hmm. each time. Yeah, you know, with <laughs> Sophia Coppola, you're getting like tales of the rich and famous uh, white middle classes and like stuff like that. Or yeah, Nicolas Cage. Even films where you think you've got it pigeonholed. Like I think when Pig got like announced, everyone was like. Nick Cage is doing Taken with a pig. And then it came out and it's this like beautiful poetic film about like love and loss that has more in common with like Ratatouille than it does with John Wick. Like, like so, <laughs> so, so bizarre. Yeah, that's, a, that's a, and I'm, I'm not sure if you've seen recently, he's like, he signed on to do a Western like set film called Butcher's Crossing. And there's a picture, like, again, oh. full of fucking surprises. There's a picture surfaced online. Uh, of him with a shaved head and he looks fucking great finally he got rid of that hair he's always got bad hair <laughs> <laughs> this is what we need <laughs> yeah I, I, okay, I, 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 and I think it would be the perfect time I know there's a, a face off sequel coming and, and obviously John Travolta lopped off his hair a good few years ago so if it does if, it do, if, if that does happen that they both look good with a bald head, so yeah, fingers crossed I love for it. that. Um, so, based on this film, Molly, are the Coppolas the greatest film family of all time? They've got to be, aren't they? <laughs> Who else? Have you just got to be. Well, it's it's just based on Airheads. Is Airheads enough reason to make them the best film family of all time? Yeah, 
Oh, he's bad. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Perfect, perfect. Get in the bin, Coppolas. Move on over. Oh yeah, I guess other ones you could you could you could go for is the Arquettes, who obviously there's there's a big link to. There's the Houstons, so Angelica, John Houston, I think there's another one. Um uh, yeah, uh the Baldwins. Well let's not talk about that too much at the moment. Uh and there's the yeah, there's the there's there's so there's so there's there's quite a few. Um the yeah. new, I think like there's there's a real cheap one as well, which is the the Newman family, because I know like Randy Newman and like his dad and his uncle have worked in films, so I guess you can call them a fa- film family to some degree, even though it's writing scores. Um, but let's get on to the most important question of this podcast, Molly. What does Bill Murray say to Scarlett Johansson at the end of Lost in Translation? Bye. <laughs> <laughs> was it not by <laughs> well obviously there's there's a lot of contention <laughs> at the fact he whispers something and like the camp that the, the it's, oh. never, it's never picked up right like <laughs> <laughs> well it also by i think perfect <laughs> perfect that is that is that is that is my favorite. That, that's got to be up there. One of my favorite answers. <laughs> that. It probably it probably is the last thing he says. Right? Is what? Yeah. Even if he says something profound, he goes, "All right, bye." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Uh, you've been a fantastic guest, Molly. Um, where can people uh, find out everything you're doing? Whether it's uh, the writing you do, obviously, you're on, as I said, the Damn Daniel podcast or any of your comedy dates and that. Where, where's the best place to follow you? Um, the best place to follow me is on probably on Twitter or Instagram. So my Twitter is Mol McGuinness with a double Mol with a double L. Mm-hmm. Um, and my Instagram is Mol Molly, but like M O L L E H, like Molly mm-hmm. McGuinness because I can't pronounce my own name. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, but I'm sure if you just type in Molly McGuinness, I should come up, I'd imagine. Perfect. And, uh, and yeah, I'm also on the Damn Daniel podcast. There's a, um, there's on Spotify and YouTube, and it's on Instagram and Twitter and all that jazz. Perfect. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming and making some Coppola connections with me. Oh, it's been a pleasure. I've loved it. Thank you for having me. A massive thank you to Molly McGuinness once again for coming and joining me to talk about this film. And a massive thank you to you guys for listening. It really does mean the world to me. Uh, If, yeah, we asked a question on this podcast, we'll ask the question. How would you rank the Bill and Ted boys, the Airhead boys and the Wayne's World boys? How are you ranking them? Let me know on all the socials. So that is Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and letterbox all at caged in pod or if you don't want to do it publicly you can always send me an email caged in pod at gmail.com is the best place to find me there 
If you'd like to support the podcast, which uh, is always uh, a lovely, lovely thing to do, we're on coffee, so that's ko-fi.com forward slash Cajun Pod, where you can just buy me a cup of coffee. And that, that helps keep the lights on. Well, yeah, it helps me buy DVDs for the films that we've got coming up on the podcast and uh, any other little bits and pieces and any anything that might go wrong with the podcast, any, any leads or anything like that I may need. Or you can head on over to Patreon, which uh, I'm really happy to announce that the 25th of this month will be the first ever episode of the brand new Patreon exclusive show called Movie Brat Bros. We'll be kicking off with a Brian De Palma season, looking at all of the films by the often cited perverted one of the Movie Brats. Yeah, <laughs> often beautiful often perverted Brian De Palma films. So we'll be kicking off with Phantom of the Paradise from 1974. And I am joined by not just uh, previous guests, but I would like to say good friends, Daryl and Jeanette Barr. I headed over to theirs a couple of weeks ago now and recorded an episode in person. So yeah, it's it's a fun one. It's a great one. Uh, and I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, so yeah, that's only like £2.50 or $3 a month. So be sure to head on over and subscribe to that. You can you can find it in the show notes for all of that goodness. As for next week on the podcast, I will be joined by BBC Radio 2's very own James King to talk about the Francis Ford Coppola 1982 Essie Hinton adaption, The Outsiders, which has uh, recently got a beautiful 4K restoration that is released via Studio Canal over here. And I was lucky enough, I was say lucky enough, I pre-ordered the like 4K box set, which is absolutely beautiful. Comes with some amazing posters designed by Tony Stella. And uh, yeah, just jam-packed full of extras so you got like uh, commentaries by Francis Ford Coppola himself as well as the cast so the cast of this is insane it's C. Thomas Howe, Matt Dillon, Ralph Macchio, Patrick Swayze, Rob Lowe, Diane Lane, Emilio Estevez, Tom Cruise up in that bitch so yeah it's it's a great one it's a great film and it'll be a great chat I'm sure I only say that because that conversation hasn't been recorded but I've spoken to James before and he's a he's a lovely guy and I know he's got a strong affinity for the 1980s so I'm very much looking forward to it. So as always, I've been Petros Patsilavus, your guide through the crazy world of the Coppola family tree. Remember to keep it caged in and I'll catch you next time. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, a Drip Town Limery, Maine, franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.